Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, for another episode of The Owl's Nest, bringing you the bird's eye view of the Overwatch League and all the action that's going down. Of course, today we're going to talk about some of the takeaways from last week's matches, which was the final week for the qualifying rounds going into the May Melee. And of course, you can be sure that we're going to break down what that might end up looking like and who has the best chance of going home the victors. But we're also going to take a break in the middle to talk about uh, the Lone Star Challenge that just wrapped up, uh, determining the true winner, the true Overwatch League team that leads, at least for this year, the Lone Star State in Texas between, of course, Houston and and Dallas. But uh, first, of course, like I said, we're going to talk about what went down last week, talk about some of the big takeaways there. And uh, the where I'd like to start is, you know, one of the matches that we thought was going to be a lot closer than it actually was, and that was the Paris Eternal putting the beat down on the Dallas Fuel. Uh, Jake, didn't we... We, uh, we picked this as one of our matches of the week last week, I believe. Uh, a 3-0 clean sweep by Paris. Did you see this coming at all? Uh, you know, honestly, I did think Paris was going to win. I, I would have made them the favorite, but I didn't, um, did not expect it to be a 3-0 sweep, and, and it was a pretty dominant one at that, so, um, pretty surprised, to be honest. Didn't seem like Dallas played up to their usual par, you know, even Arrow tweeted something out to the effect of, you know, the team not being on the same page, not feeling coordinated, and, uh, that's a rough place to be going into the May tournament, you know, the May Melee, you don't want to be a team that is feeling uncoordinated, unconfident, um, and I don't know how they're really going to be able to turn that around with a 3-0 result going into the tournament. It's it's hard to imagine them going too far um, without some you know true heroics here as far as turning this thing around. Yeah, and of course, uh, speaking of them going into the main melee too, uh, you know we'll talk about it in in a little bit here. But they did also lose the Lone Star Challenge to Houston as well, so you have to uh, expect that, that probably put a little bit of a damper on their spirits as well. What was it that Paris did here that really got uh, you know they really put the Dallas uh, fuel underneath their thumb? For me, it was uh, the overall team play from Paris that, that won this one. I mean, when you get a 3-0 sweep, it tends to be like just the, just outclass on team play. And, and it did, to me, feel like Paris was just consistently in control of the ultimate economy uh, in this series. Not over-ulting, um, you know, using their ults well when they do, in fact, deploy them. Um, but to be honest, Dallas, like, they didn't put up the fight I would have expected, right? Like, I expected Paris to play well, but I, I just thought Dallas would rise to the occasion and... and at least put up some maps, at least, you know, put up some some very close ones. Um, but that didn't really materialize this week. So, you know, I think with what Coach Arrow said, I'm a little bit worried about the fuel right now. Well, uh, and uh, talking about those who actually did put up quite a fight, uh, last week he also picked out the Toronto Defiant and the Los Angeles Valiant to be another match of the week. And I think one of only two matches that actually went to Game 5, most of what we saw last week, were uh, uh, clean sweeps or 3 and ones So... What happened here? You know, obviously the Valiant did end up walking away with it, uh, three to two. But Toronto not looking that bad. You know, what was it you took away from this match? Uh, well, to me, I'm just like um, I'm. I'm still pretty impressed with Toronto. Like I do think Valiant. Um, you know, they're the stronger team there. They, they deserve the win. But uh, you know, that's the reason I picked this this match for match of the week because despite Toronto having like pretty poor results, if you look at, like mathematically. Uh, I still feel like they have the potential, and I feel like, you know, they do have these moments where they are playing really well as a group. Um, to me, I, my perspective is just that they need to continue refining that, because of course they've got, like, the talent in the roster, but um, I do think it's a roster that has to be sort of workshopped and shaped. Um, one thing to note also is that I think Logix has had particularly great performances, mm. but continue, continued to still be, like, pretty much playing Koth, right? Like, I think that's mostly his role for the team, is to be, to be in on Koth, and you know, I have to wonder, like, with... I, I saw a stat there, reflected that he has the highest team fight win rate. Um, 
you know, for the team's DPS. Like he's having, and the team's having the most success on those control map types. Um, you don't know, have to wonder if, if they're going to try and bring him in on more maps, you know, see what he can do because uh, I think there's a lot of teams that have had a ton of success putting in a, like a heavy hit scan focused player. Um, you know, players similar to Logix have had a lot of success on other teams. So, um, you know, I know Surefor and Agilities are both very flexible, but uh, in my mind, I'm just thinking, you know, why not, why not give Logix a little bit more starting time, you know, see what he can do. Uh, because Toronto's been playing it really close uh, and, and having their best success with Logic Zen on control. So um, I do think, still think they can uh, somehow turn the season around, but, you know, time is starting to slip away from them. Well, looking at them on the standings right now, you know, they're at 16, 4 and 8 with an overall record. Uh, technically, that is only about half of their season, so there is definitely time to turn it around. Los Angeles Valiant, meanwhile, sitting at 11th with at 5 and 6. You know, Los Angeles Valiant, to me, especially when you look at how far they've come in being a rookie squad since the beginning of the season, I think they're one of the teams that sort of has that promise. Don't expect them, you know, by the end of the season to be in, you know, the top three or maybe even the top five. But, you know, where do you think if the Valiant continue this trend, you know, start to build a little bit of momentum going towards the end of the season? You know, where do you envision the Valiant, Valiant probably end up sitting in the seating? Um, well, I mean, to be honest, this is already a pretty strong season for them. Like compared to, if you think back to fan expectations of this team, a lot of people were saying uh, when they dropped some of their, you know, superstar roster from the past two seasons that, oh, wow, this is a huge mistake. Like there's no way they'll be able to uh, still have a good season. But I think they've proved all those haters wrong, right? Like this, this is already a decent performance from them. Uh, and it seems like things are continuing to heat up as far as momentum goes. So um, you know, bringing in players like I think KSP is a huge one to highlight of a lot of people sleeping on him. A lot of people, you know, could have probably picked him up before the Valiant did, but they didn't. Right. And now their mistake, I think, is, is really um, the Valiant's gain as this has been a great season for KSP in particular, uh, but also a lot of the other rookie players that the Valiant signed, you know, proved to be really intelligent signings. And um, to me, you just got to shout out the coach packing 10, I think, has done. Uh, really great work, not only picking up the right players who have that potential uh, and who want to work for, you know, great success, but at the same time, actually utilizing them well and, and coaching the team effectively. So uh, the Valiant, you know, they're, they're like, as far as what you might have expected looking at the roster on paper in preseason, I feel like they're like playing most above their weight class. Um, I think on this pace, like they're going to make playoffs maybe uh, a little bit, you know, farther down in the standings. But for a rookie squad, I don't think that's going to like get to their head too much. I think the fact that they make playoffs is going to be meaningful as long as they don't like really slip up and you know come the end of the season. Um, this is a team where I don't think they're going to care about their record going into playoffs because they're always going to be able to think to themselves, well, like we're a rookie team. Like let's just they, they kind of have that playing with house money effect where they can just be confident no matter what the situation, no matter what the previous results. Um, and if they can keep you know staying in that mindset, I think this is a team that uh, is going to be potentially explosive come playoffs. Well, speaking of uh, teams that have started to slip, of course, Seoul Dynasty haven't had the best past few weeks, although they did take that 3-2 uh, to two win over the Shanghai Dragons last week and then come back this week. Uh, they end up falling again, another 3-0 and sweep, this time uh, to, was it, uh, oh, losing my notes here, the, the Hunters, I believe it was. Hey, I mean... Uh, yeah. Could be the hunters effect of like you never know what's gonna happen with the hunters <laughs> but um soul is like i don't know man it's really confusing to be honest right like the fact that they're able to come out on top of like a true five game series against shanghai dragons mm -hmm. really playing up um and, and and beating the team that looked like the best in the in the asia pacific region and now they fall three zero like 
and I'm not like I don't think Chengdu is a bad team, but getting three zero, you know, is a pretty pretty one you know one side of result, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's just hard to it's hard to understand this team, right? Like, how can you you know how can you do so well in one match and then slip up in the next? So I'm wondering if this is a team where you know they play up to strong opponents, but maybe they have that Philly season one curse of you know getting overconfident and just not playing their best when they play against an opponent that they perceive as weaker. Like feeling like they've already passed the test of beating the dragons, they're not under pressure anymore. Um, you know that that could be where their heads are at, but it has to be a mental thing, right? Because you know that they've got the individual talent and the skill to to play at the top level, but to crumble in certain matches and do really well in others tends to be a sign of like some mental issues for the team, um, mindset, consistency, that sort of thing. I mean, with COVID nineteen and everything, it sort of adds extra pressure, especially on the mental game front. Um, but still, like every team is dealing with similar stuff, so. Um, Seoul, I mean, it's a team that, like, you want them to succeed. They've got so much talent, so many, like, players you love to see. Uh, but just, it has been so awkward for them, right? Like, such a such a rocky rise. So, uh, it's, it's going to be all about consistency for this team as far as moving ahead. Well, and they're only sitting at 4-4 four and four in the record for the season, so they have plenty of time to turn it around. And they did also just pick up Slime, formerly of the Vancouver Titans. So what exactly is it in your mind that Soul Dynasty have to do to start netting themselves some wins and turn this around for them? Well, I thought um, Slime's comment was actually really interesting upon joining the Dynasty, which um, what he said was that Soul traditionally plays uh, a more passive, reactive style where they're focused on winning the value game uh, and then responding, you know, with like the clinical answers to the opponent's aggression, uh, you know, exactly as it happens, um, which I think is in some cases correct, but in other cases, like it's just better to be the aggressor. It's just better to initiate your game plan quickly and and do it first, so that the opponent just doesn't have time to get their game plan off, or they're not quite ready to execute their game plan. Uh, you know, catching people off guard is a huge thing in Overwatch. Um, you know, getting a quick kill before that player gets their abilities off is, is a total game changer versus having to grind it out against them and, and win the value game. So I think uh, to pick up Slime and, and have that, uh, if he can successfully deploy that new strategy, that new mindset for the team, then that, having that extra tool in their toolkit, I think is going to be extremely valuable. Uh, and as far as building consistency, I think it's a lot easier to be consistent, um, you know, as an aggressive team, as a team that initiates and takes the initiative rather than a passive team where I think it's extremely high pressure on the individual players, right? If one player is out of position in a passive style, that player is just going to die and you're probably losing. Um, whereas when you play an aggressive style, I think there is actually a little bit more wiggle room for individuals to uh, be creative and to, to play their own way because uh, when you're initiating, you know, the enemy isn't isn't going to be perfect, right? They're not going to be checking all the corners and checking all the flanks the way if you're playing defensively, that probably is going to happen. The enemy has no reason not to, you know, be clinical. So I think, especially with players like Profit on the squad, like I like the idea of gesture as well. Like I like the idea of uh, this team being more aggressive. So if Slime can activate that, then that could be a turnaround. All right. Well, and what better time for them to turn it around than in the May Melee? There's a bunch of bonus wins as well as cash on the line here. But we'll get to that a little bit later in the show. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the results and uh, what we thought of the uh, the docu-series of the Lone Star Showdown. That's coming up next. Uh, but for those of you who haven't already, make sure that you're connecting with us on social media. That's Checkpoint XP on Facebook and Twitter, as well as Jake OW on Twitter. And make sure you're also over following with notifications on at Jake underscore OW on Twitch. We'll be right back. Hey, 
Hey, it's Weird Beard from Checkpoint XP reminding you to make it blue. Help say thank you to our heroes on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. Whether you're streaming, drawing, singing, cooking, or anything else, showcase your talents and hashtag light it blue. You can find more information at our website, CheckpointXP.com. Hey, this is Norris Howard from Checkpoint XP on campus with your college esports quick hit. The Collegiate Star League Grand Finals are back, and that means one of the biggest events in college esports returns with thousands of dollars in scholarships on the line. The CSL Grand Finals pit the best in North American colleges against each other in Street Fighter V, League of Legends, Dota 2, Magic the Gathering Arena, and more. The games begin Saturday, May 30th, with games running throughout the weekend. That was your college esports quick hit. For more, head on over to our website, checkpointxp.com. back ladies and gentlemen to the owl's nest thanks for watching and if you'd like to get us on the go you can also download a podcastable version of our show at google Podcasts, apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever it is that you find your podcasts now uh the lone star challenge just wrapped up this past week and uh come next monday the final series of the docuseries will be available uh over on the outlaws and the dallas fuels uh YouTube channel. So uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about this, Jake. Uh, also, obviously, you know, the match results and how that ended up going down as well as, you know, whether or not esports, the Overwatch League, you know, needs this sort of content and what it brings that uh, currently viewers are sort of missing out on without it. So let's go ahead and start with the the actual matches here first. Obviously, you know, Dallas had won three out of the four challenges over the two-week period, uh, which gave them a pretty big advantage being able to choose the first three maps that they played on. What was it that you saw out of the challenges, uh, specifically, you know, between both Dallas and Houston, uh, that you think led to Dallas taking the majority of these wins? To be honest, I feel like Dallas was just, like, better prepared and more focused for these challenges. Like, uh, they just played a lot better. Um, At the same time, though, I do think... The challenges, like, the, the map picks are pretty significant. And um, we saw a couple times where Dallas looked really dominant on a map pick. Um, well, not really. Mostly just one, right? Like, with uh, Ilios, they just looked insane coming out so hot out of the gates. I was worried about the Outlaws coming into that series because they just got kind of dominated on Ilios. It wasn't all that close, to be fair. Um, so their map picks seemed to be like, oh, wow, this is going to be a big deal for Dallas. Um, and, you know, obviously coming out ahead in the challenges meant that I guess to some people it might mean that like there's some individual differences or whatever, but in my mind, actually, the challenges are, are just so, so different than the actual game of Overwatch, which, you know, the challenges are very individual, you know, or even, you know, the small team ones are focused on eliminations. There's no objective, really, um, besides elimination. So it's, it's a very unique sort of game mode that, and, and a play style that just doesn't exist in competitive Overwatch. Um, so I just don't think the challenges like mean too much for the six on six performance aside from getting those map picks. And, you know, Houston proved that the map picks weren't really such a big deal. Uh, you know, even with, they, they took the second map, they took um, King's Row, which was Dallas's pick. And then they took all, or they almost took Hanamura. Like they were way ahead on Hanamura. And then you could argue, I think that they just kind of slipped up uh, in the end. So to me, 
my, my thought is just like Dallas just couldn't really capitalize on these map picks the way that I thought that they would or, or maybe they, that they hoped that they would. So what was it that the Outlaws uh, did? Because obviously, like you said, you know, when it comes to the team fights, when it comes to actually the six uh, or six v six, there's something else that goes into the mix that you don't find in the challenge. So what was it that Houston had that was able to put them, uh, you know, just in front of Dallas and net them the win here? Well, I think um, to me, there's there's two factors. Like the first would be um, strategy. I think that the Outlaws made some better decisions as far as compositions go. I think I think that they favored the Arisa Sigma in a lot of situations where um, Dallas is playing, you know, a very, like, dive-heavy comp. They're playing, um, you know, like, lots of Winston and Tracer and stuff. And even though Decay had some, like, monster performances on Tracer, like, true carry performances, especially on Hanamura, I think securing that defense was, like, the Decay and Doha show pretty much. Like, they just went crazy. <laughs> um, you know, I, I still feel like the overall strategy of, like, this defensive Arisa comp is just overall better. Um, at least on a, on a few of the maps, like Rialto in particular, was where um, Dallas tried to run dive a lot and with pretty limited success, I would say. Um, you know, the Outlaws just felt a lot stronger on that Arisa comp, and, and that ended up, I think, deciding most of the maps. Um, you know, there's some key moments, like especially when Outlaws started spawn camping on the Blizzard World payload section. That's a huge moment where Arisa Sigma is so dominant and... Um, you know, Dallas, they're playing the comp too, but it just felt like, with especially with Hydration in, like, the Outlaws look better than ever, actually, on that strategy, which was kind of a surprise to me, given that Muma's experience in the hero. That was actually going to be my next question to you, because we didn't just see it in the Lone Star Challenge, we also saw it in their matchup against the Vancouver Titans uh, this past week as well, bringing Hydration in over Muma. And, you know, during the cast, you, know, you had mentioned that, you know, you had thought they would probably bring him in to play more of the Sigma, to play more of the Wrecking Ball, but, uh, you know, he was playing both the Reinhardt and the Winston. So, what are your thoughts there? Why bring in Hydration on the same characters that we've been seeing Muma play, you know, for the past three seasons well, I think um, Muma is a really talented individual player um, so I would say my guess honestly would be that they're focused on stuff that you can't really see um, you know from the caster from the fan perspective which is like behind the scenes stuff like communication and strategy um, because I, I mean I think it's pretty hard for hydration to compete on like raw mechanics on these heroes given that he's picking them up with like a way shorter time frame um, but Hydration has always been like a really intelligent player, I think, in his DPS play as well as his tank play. So I, I would guess that that's the focus. But it's one of those things where uh, main tank, I think, is a very stylistic role where you can be, quote unquote, very, very good at main tank. But like if you're just not in sync with your team, it sort of doesn't really matter too much. Um, and, you, you, you know, you could argue that that's just a mistake to like go for those individual plays. So, um, I mean, with Hydration, the team looks really solid, looks really coordinated. Even with Hydration making a few mistakes in the match, uh, overall the team had like great support for him and great strategy around him. So, you know, you'd have to like know the team calls and you'd have to know like what's going on in practice to, to actually get an answer on this front. Um, so you'd kind of have to ask the coaching staff, especially for the Houston Outlaws. Uh, but from their results, like you can't argue with it, right? The team looked really solid uh, with that Hydration Mecco tank line. Right. So the other part of the Lone Star Challenge, of course, was the docu-series. We have seen uh, two of the three episodes so far. Uh, Jake, obviously, you are uh, featured heavily in them as the narrator for it, and I even got to make a small appearance at the start and the beginning of it. So my question to you is, why is content like this important, not just to the league, but to esports overall? Uh, well, I think there's, there's two, two sides of the content. Like The first is to have this challenge in the first place. Um, I think it's really exciting because you know, Dallas and Houston have a bit of a special rivalry that is bit unique in esports but like there are other rivalries like it i guess but but just like to have two teams in particular that have such a fierce individual rivalry 
um, irrespective of the overall league. To me, this is like a perfect thing for them, right? Because the Houston Dallas, they wouldn't play each other too much, um, you know, in, in a regular season format, like, you know, once in a while, but no more than they really play other teams. Um, so the fact that there's like a special focus on the rivalry and a special event to celebrate that and to highlight it, to me, is just like just making sure that you're keeping that fire alive uh, and keeping that excitement and delivering the fans what they want. Uh, because I think they're really hungry for more rivalry content. Um, but as far as like to take a broader look, why esports needs more content like this, that is where I would answer. I would look to like the human side of this docu series. That you know you're getting to see behind the scenes for the players. Like what is their life like? How are they practicing? Especially during these crazy times of COVID nineteen, where I think people are hungry to connect with each other and, and to see what each other's lives are like. And um, there's a part of that I think that's just very human and, and uh, very intelligible to anybody, whether you come from you know, inside the scene and you're a huge fan of esports or you don't know much about it at all. Like either way, I think there's a lot to be had and appreciated from a series that is behind the scenes and gives you like a day in the life, so to speak. Um, so in my mind, like that human content is something that the reason it's so good is that like endemic fans eat it up. They love it. Uh, and it's not, it's like the definition of authentic, which is a big thing in esports. Uh, but at the same time, you could be a total outsider, not know much. And this is like a, such a great way to get in and dip your toes in the water and start to see like the passion that is behind esports as a first step to getting interested. That's right. So again, if you want to check that out, you can head on over to the Outlaws and the Dallas Fuel YouTube. Uh, that's the Lone Star Challenge. The first two episodes are up and the third one is coming soon. Again, as Jake said, it's a great time to try to get some of your friends who maybe have had a trouble, you know, understanding exactly what it is that draws you into the Overwatch League. Get them to watch this and this might be the in that they need. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the May Melee. There are no hero bands this time. All heroes are on the table and the meta could go just about anywhere. We'll discuss where it could go and how it's going to affect these teams coming up next. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Well, we have an unprecedented outbreak. Thousands of us walking the earth. We might die at any moment. Because we're under attack. In which case, we must act fast. Doctors are trying their best. Working long hours and... Always sacrificing. Their help to protect you. Well, I'd very much like to thank them. Thanks, Doctor. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you, Doctor. Wait a minute. What's the prognosis? It's still changing. So we have a novel virus and no vaccine at this time. What should we do? We gotta get everybody else back into the houses. We gotta keep them there. In other words, this is our lockdown, right? What that means is stay in your homes, make no attempt to reach loved ones, and take a long nap. You can count me out. You can count me out too. Some people are immune to good advice. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Those idiots. I just need to make sure you fully understand. Let's recap. I'm begging you. Stay inside. Wash your hands. And make sure you've got 10 feet of personal space around you. Stay away from me. Stay away from me. Uh-uh-uh. I didn't hear you wash your hands. So think on this, lads. When you're home watching TV. Think about the medical stuff. Working for you. 
So I'm asking you. Stay home. I'm in isolation. Just stop the virus. All right, I'll do it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You stay classy, planet Earth. Back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Owl's Nest. We just got done talking about the first annual Lone Star Challenge, which I'm looking forward to that coming back again every year to see who gets the trophy next. I really hope that uh, if Harsha's going to end up taking pictures of the trophy and sending it to Arrow, that we get to see what those look like, because uh, I'd love to be a fly on the wall when he reads those. Uh, of course, the May Melee is here, guys. It is the May tournament that is going to uh, help determine who gets a few bonus wins tacked on to those... Uh, those final uh, rankings there, final uh, regular season wins and losses. So, uh, Jake, before we actually get into where the seedings are, who's playing who, and where that could end up going, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about what you think the meta might end up looking like. Of course, <clears throat> excuse me, there's no uh, hero bands this time. And as we actually saw, we got a little bit of a taste of it with the uh, Lone Star Challenge, Houston and Dallas playing each other without any hero bands. Uh, it was actually some really good Overwatch. There was a lot of really interesting comps. There was a lot of hero switching, you know, as they were trying to adapt to one another. You know, we didn't just immediately go back to the, you know, the May Reaper, you know, double shield comp. So what exactly is it that you're expecting, specifically to, let's say, out of the Asian region, uh, when it comes to some of these picks? Uh, well, I think there's been this key dynamic that, you know, especially in the Lone Star Showdown, that I think really reared its head, but I also think is going to continue to be um, something pretty significant, especially as we go uh, into this May Melee, especially with... You know, I would say that to highlight the recent changes of the game, it's like the nerfs to Mei, uh, which are pretty significant in terms of her ability to control uh, dive heroes and, and to, you know, enable the rushing Reaper style. Um, and at the same time, you've also got Echo into the mix, who is like a complete game changer in terms of what she offers uh, and the way she plays. Um, so what I, the way I look at the meta in terms of, um, you know, with no hero pools is I think there's sort of two poles and it's just going to be teams sort of swinging back and forth between these poles. And, and the one, on the one hand, you've got extremely greedy compositions that do a ton of damage at range and can like poke you down 10 ways from Sunday and super effective ranged combos, but they need to keep you at arm's length because when you get on top of them, they fail. So that's going to be comps that are based around Arissa and Sigma. Uh, they're going to be playing heroes like Ash, Widowmaker, uh, and Echo even. Uh, and then in the back line, you're going to have Batiste Zen as like the ultra greedy, all we do is deal damage. We're not that good at healing or staying alive, but <laughs> if we just need to kill stuff, we are insane at that. Um, so, you know, that, um, that's like the, the greediest you can go. And then you've also got, um, you know, variations where you run a break instead of a Zen, uh, which gives you a ton more resiliency, but obviously miss out on Discord Orb and a lot of shield break. Um, you know, even occasionally you might see uh, a hero like Ana pop up, but, but I really think that Batiste, Batiste Break or Batiste Zen is going to be dominant. Uh, to play with that Arissa Sig because the BAP is so, so good, you know, at enabling the range damage. It's sort of his, his perfect wheelhouse. Uh, and the drone is a pretty great defensive utility as well. So um, that's like the one side is extreme greed. All we do is range damage. Uh, and we just kill people at range and the enemy never really gets a fight because they're just dead. Uh, and then on the other pole, you've got the comp that tries to really prey upon that. And that's like this full dive strategy. So you're going to see heroes like Tracer and Sombria, um, maybe Echo, but but I really think that Tracer Sombra duo is ideal um, in you know that EMP and the potential for Tracer to pick off backliners. So especially when you see the Zen Bap come out, uh, I think the Tracer Sombra is extremely effective because it's so so hard to keep a Zen alive. Uh, and if Zen starts getting in this cycle where he's constantly dying, he's never building trance, 
then Sombra just goes out of control with the EMPs. And we saw that from Doha in the Lone Star Showdown on quite a few maps. So um, in my mind, the Brig BAP probably is going to be a little more consistent against Dive, but we, that'll be, for me, the question is, do teams want to be the greedy team and like race to the, to the end of who can be the greediest, who can do the most damage? Or do teams want to be the punisher of that and say, you're going to be greedy. Okay, we're going to just pick you off one by one playing this super mobile dive style where we don't deal so much damage, but we're so mobile, we'll just pick you apart and you won't ever have the opportunity as sort of the gambit that they're running, that you won't have the opportunity to get that range damage out. Well, so with that in mind, taking a look at the Asian region, uh, who is it that you're going to favor going into this? I mean, obviously, you know, the Dragons have shown that they are nearly unstoppable. Uh, you know, looking at the, uh, the matches that we have, Spark versus the Dynasty to start off, Excelsior versus the Hunters, and then Dragons versus the Spitfire with the Charge getting the first round by. Where are you putting your money when it comes to this tournament, and who are the best bets? Um, in my mind, in the Asian region... Uh, I do think Shanghai is still going to be a really strong contender, uh, not least because I think that they're just incredibly good, especially at the greedy variants of these styles. Um, so like especially at the Arisa Sigma, I think Shanghai is like really top tier. Despite going down to Seoul and them playing the mirror a lot, uh, I still think Shanghai is really good. I think like they've just had so much success over a long period of time. Um, and going to no hero pool is, I think, actually going to benefit them. Um, they have really flexible players. There's no issue for them to play any strategy. Um, so to me, like I'm not, I'm not worried at all about them as, as far as like not having hero bands. Like they don't need it. It doesn't really matter to them. Um, so that's a team. Like obviously, you should be worried. You should be looking out for. Or you should be worried about if you're going up against them. Um, I think some other teams that could be really good are. I think the Charge has has had a really great hot streak, and I think they're a team that I would expect to be on the other side of that debate. Right, playing fast dive comps. Uh, Eileen, Happy, and Nero are such an insane triplet that, you know, especially Eileen, Sombra, you know, you can put Nero on the Tracer, you can put Happy on uh, the Widow, and you sort of have two different ways to focus your dive style. But um, overall, I do expect them to be a really strong contender too. And to me, that would be an awesome, like, final in the Asian region as you've got, like, the greedy Shanghai trying to outlast, trying to make the individual plays to get pick off some of those dive heroes and then you've got you know charge and um you know i would say other teams like maybe uh, you could put the spark in a similar category you put the chengdu hunters uh, well the chengdu hunters are a bit of a special case because they like to play both which you know could be its own unique beast as far as you know picking whichever comp they think is better on um, each map uh, but i'm excited to see especially in the asian region where like the clash of those styles lands um do people feel like the brig and the bap is just too effective at defending the risk sigma and dive just doesn't work very well that's sort of what we saw in the, in the lone star showdown or do people feel like they can get away with it they can get through that brig they can uh, beat her to her rally charge and just you know win off that snowball potential on the dive comp so uh, that's how i expect uh, asian region breakdown i think shanghai charge spark i mean to be fair the asian region is just super hard to call because i actually think <laughs> it's incredibly close like a lot of these teams are playing at a very high level and i don't think that there's like, even though Dragons, I would say, are the best team, I, I just don't think there's a big gap the way in North America between, like, the top echelon of teams mm -hmm. and the bottom. I think there's a much larger gap. Uh, so it's actually a little bit easier to guess how things are going to break down. Well, speaking of the North American region, the way that this bracket plays out is also a lot different from the Asian region as well. Uh, of course, uh, it's going to start out with a qualification match between the Toronto Defiant and the Vancouver Titans just to see who gets to go into the knockouts. But what's really interesting about the North American region is that uh, in the knockout stage, your 5th through 8th seed actually gets to choose, uh, uh, based on the highest seed, which teams that they're going to play against. And then even going into the quarterfinals uh, later in the weekend, 
uh, each each of these teams gets to choose from the uh, from the winners of the past round who it is that they're going to play against. So we actually have no idea what a lot of these matchups are going to look like until the day of. So Jake, you know, taking a look at who our top seeds are here. We have the Shock in uh, the number one spot, the Florida Mayhem in the number two spot. Never thought that I would be saying that. Uh, followed by the Philadelphia Fusion and the Los Angeles Valiant. So, you know, looking at what some of the potentials might be, obviously, again, this is very, very difficult to call. But, uh, you know, taking into, into consideration some of the uh, uh, insight that you gave to us about the meta, where do you think some of these teams might end up falling, and who do you think is going to end up uh, making it to the semifinals and finals? Uh, well, I'll just start with, like, the, the bottom of the tournament, so, so this qualification match. Um, I do think Toronto's probably going to take it. The Titans have you know, what, one map win under their belt with the new roster yeah. against the Washington Justice, who also kind of just scrambled their own roster, um, mm -hmm. at least for that match. Like, they just lost, they lost um, Corey, and Stratos was, like, playing, even though he's sort of retiring. Like, so, uh, and they only got one map win, even in that series, which, so, so Titans are, are looking pretty bottom of the barrel right now. Um, I just don't expect them to do particularly well. Um, so, and I think Toronto, you know, having a close series against the Valiant, who are a much higher-seeded team, uh, I would expect them to take it. Uh, this could be that moment, right, for the Titans to come alive, but um, not really expecting it, frankly. Um, and when it comes, assuming it comes, I, it'll be a surprise to me, frankly, because uh, until they put up some results, I'm not really going to have much faith in that team. Um, whereas Toronto, I still think, you know, they had their little bright spots. Obviously, being this seed, it hasn't gone perfectly for them, hasn't gone the way they wanted, but I think they'll take the, the qualification series. Um, from there, in like the next series with all the knockout games, um, I think the Rain and the Eternal are very likely to move on and, and continue in this tournament. Um, as far as the rest of the teams, I think this is going to be kind of open season. A lot of these, like the Gladiators have, you know, they lost to Boston, so that they're feeling pretty bad about that one. Uh, Fuel have been all out of sorts, getting rolled by Paris, then just losing the Lone Star Challenge, um, you know, with pretty convincingly to the Houston Outlaws. So in my mind, um, you know, even Houston, right, like despite winning that challenge, I don't think they've had like the greatest you know, season so far. So uh, as far as the teams that are going to are gonna survive the knockout round, I would say Paris and, and Atlanta are pretty safe bets, but everything else is, is sort of up for grabs. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of teams, I would, I might imagine, in my uh, mind rather, competing for those last two spots. Uh, it is possible someone could upset Rain or Paris, but I just think it's unlikely. I think probably the teams who go up against them in knockouts uh, are just going to be eliminated. So looking at the quarterfinals then, obviously the San Francisco Shock are going to get to take their pick from whoever it is that does end up advancing out of the knockout stages. Uh, so, you know, like you said, you know, anything could happen, any given payload, as I like to say. Uh, but what do you think are the chances out of these top four teams here? Who's most likely to move on and who might end up, uh, you know, falling victim to whoever it is that they choose in the knockout stages to play? Uh, I think the power of Shock having this first pick is not to be underestimated. They're going to pick, like, obviously the weakest team that manages to survive knockouts. Um, so it probably won't be, you know, like the fact that that team is surviving knockouts means that they're not terrible. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be a competitor. But I just think the fact that Shock is, is going to just set themselves up with, like, what's their ideal matchup? Where do they think they stack up the best? Like, that level of control from being the one seed, they earned that. And so I'm pretty confident they're going to take the win. Um, especially Shock has looked really in form, especially for this May Melee qualifier. Uh, you know, there's a reason they're the one seed, basically. Um, Valiant, I think, are a lot more vulnerable in that sense, like sort of the opposite, right? They have fourth pick, so uh, they sort of just get whoever is left as far as the knockouts go, which could be pretty tough for them, I think. You know, they're going to get 
the team that none of the other teams want to play out of knockouts, right? So I think that'll probably be, if, if I'm right about my earlier predictions, probably be a team like uh, the Eternal or the Rain. Um, so I just, you know, that's not like, I don't, I don't think you're psyched on that if you're Valiant. Um, but Valiant, you know, they should be happy that they're even, they get a free road to this stage, right? So they'll have that, even if they don't have the edge of choosing their, their team, they have the edge of sort of scouting the competitions. And I think they can also guess like whoever's playing the best in knockouts is probably going to be their opponent. Um, just because the other teams probably won't pick that team. So uh, for me, I, my, my, my guess, if I were these teams, my guess would be that if the Paris Eternals survive the knockout, that they'll be the team that no one else wants to play and they'll go up against the Valiant. And I think that'll be a tough one for, for I think that'll be a close one. I was like, that might be uh, one of the closer matches of the tournament um, with both teams, you know, having a lot of good performances recently uh, and Paris being a bit resurgent, I would say. Like, I'm honestly surprised that they're the fifth seed. Um, just given that you know they had all these roster changes they're sort of still figuring things out and they still looked pretty solid they've still got a lot of great results um valiant obviously as well but yeah that'll be an interesting one um philly fusion uh have just looked great right like if anything i think um they even ran like some really weird rosters against vancouver and, and still look strong uh despite sort of keeping the a team on the bench just getting some nice r and r uh which is just well deserved with how good the squad has looked overall this season um so to be honest, the Valiant is like the one team that I think it might have a tough time because of that inability to choose their opponent. Uh, but I honestly think Philly, Florida, and Shock are probably all going to advance. Florida has looked insanely good in recent times, um, you know, and Philly has just been so strong so long and are at the point where they're back to their old ways of like getting their, their subs play time so that they're ready for the future. But when you're in that place, that's like an extreme level of confidence, I would say, uh, to be having, to be able to like put in players that aren't normally starting just because you want to get them play time you're you're that confident that you're going to win the series no matter what um so philly florida and shock i think are all going to be advancing um probably the tougher test is going to be for the la valiant all right so final question for you then who do you think is going to be going head to head in the final bracket here for the north american region um i'm gonna say it's uh i'm gonna do the boring boring pick one and two seed i'm gonna say it's shock florida i think um shock florida huh yeah, I do think the Florida Philly match, which, which you know, based on my predictions, is going to happen. Um, obviously, there's a lot of ifs to get to that point, but if I'm right about absolutely everything, then I actually think Florida's going to take this over Philly. I think this Florida squad has looked just really confident, and they've had all these markers of being a truly top tier team. Uh, not only are they stomping all over teams that are relatively weaker, just dominating them out of the competition, but when they go up against a stronger team, they can like take big hits and come back in these fights. Like they lose a player and they just still commit like fearlessly. They just drop the nano on BQB or something and he just comes out with, with two picks and, and it's back in their favor, right? Uh, so that's the sort of thing that you need extreme confidence to do. It's like high risk, high reward plays, but they're coming down in favor of the mayhem time and time again. So Florida knows like how to be in those down situations and, and to make an effective comeback, not just a, a risky you know, roll the dice, come back, but, but one that is actually set up with their whole team and, and, you know, increasing the odds of success because, you know, their success has been undeniable, really. Uh, they did drop one map in their last series, but I'm just not worried about that. Like, I still think they're a really great team. Um, but, you know, Philly Fusion are not going to be a pushover. I, I think that'll be a very close series. I just, I just have a feeling that Florida's going to take it and um, Shock are just obviously so good. I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if they're in the grand finals. All right. Well, there you go, guys. There's uh, That's about all the time we have left for today. Once again, make sure that you're connecting with us on social media. That's Checkpoint XP on Twitter and Facebook. You can find me at Robbie underscore Landis CP and Jake at Jake OW. And make sure you're following him on Twitch as well, Jake underscore 
OW. Jake, thank you so much for your time this weekend, and I'll remember, guys, to always stay on that payload.